Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. And we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. If you have not already done so, make sure that you are connected to us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And also, for all of you podcast lovers, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, just to name a few of those platforms. And you'll find us at that same username at Radio Islam USA. All right, family, before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsors, IFN, that's Islamic Foundation North, and ICN, Islamic Center of Naperville, for their support. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And I will start by saying Ramadan Mubarak. That's right. Blessed Ramadan to all of you who are observing the fast. Uh, we pray that it has been beneficial, that it has been renewing, uh, healing for you and your families. Uh, we are past the, the halfway point. Uh, and as we said at the very beginning, this month would fly by, and it is doing just that. Uh, and in that spirit, because um, we've talked about Ramadan a few times, well, yeah, yeah more than a few times on the program, uh, and it is, of, of course, befitting that this is that month, uh, that it's not always that month where you would assume that it's going to be replete with inspiration with community with all the things that we associate with this month uh, that's not always the case for everyone depending on where you are where you're situated uh, it can be quite a different experience and I'm happy to have joining us on the line to to kind of talk about that uh, an article that was uh, written in hot hijab by our sister Khadija Abdul Haq um, that really shed some light on this we've had her on the program before to talk about uh, her wonderful book, but she is a writer and an educator, the author of the critically acclaimed children's book, Nani's Hijab. Uh, she's been a guest contributor to Hayati Magazine, AboutIslam.com, Alt Muslim, Sapelo Square, and various other Muslim-focused publishings. Uh, so we are happy to welcome her once again to the program. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. And a Ramadan, Ramadan Mubarak. Ah, uh, so you beat me to it. <laughs> and a Ramadan Mubarak to you and your family as well. So, uh, yeah. So you 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 wrote this article, which addresses some really important things. Uh, and first off, before we even get into it, I have to say that I appreciate not just shining light on a problem, but also presenting solutions. Right, things that we can we can actually engage in and be conscious of. Uh, to rectify the problem. But first, let's talk about the problem, because who does not enjoy a good problem? So um, the title of, your, uh, of the article was Erasing the Ramadan Divide Between Converts and Born Muslims Fostering Inclusivity. Yes. What got you to saying, I need to, to write this, I need to address this at this particular time? Well, I, I was actually approached by Sister Dil Dilshad Ali, to write this article for okay. Halt Hijab. And, but it's something that I've been wanting to write um, for a while, and I'm glad that she approached me to uh, write it, that she asked me to write it, because up until moving to Memphis, I've never experienced the convert, the concept of convert. I mean, of course, you go to the masjid, you take your shahada, 
and you know everyone welcomes you. Oh, you're Muslim. Assalamualaikum. Someone wants to show you around, show you how to pray, and so forth and so on. But the word convert is rarely ever used, hmm. and so you're never um, because I'm I'm from Philadelphia, right? Right, and so Philadelphia is full of converts. Right. You know, we're they're the black Muslim, the American black Muslim that is in Philadelphia. They, it's most of them, a majority of them, are converts. Mm -hmm. And recent, you know, many, many recent, many extend for decades. You know, um, but uh, the idea that you're still going by that label. You know, years later, months later, after you've taken Shahada, mm -hmm. you know, it was shocking to me and absurd, and it seemed demeaning and devaluing. Because I've also once stepping, once I stepped out of Philadelphia, not only did I hear it from uh, non-black Muslims, mm -hmm. but I was hearing it from black Muslims as a way to validate their self in Islam. And I saw that as a means that that they were trying to make a connection to the people that was trying to ostracize them as well. And so where is this concept, this concept, this construct of I'm born Muslim, I know more than you, you know, right. or I'm born Muslim, my Islam is more valued than yours. Let me or, ask this. You know, let, let me ask this. Going back to Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. um, you said that the term convert was not one that was used. Um, is Rarely used. Yeah, rarely mm -hmm. used. So was that just in African-American and black spaces, or was that, in, was that kind of reflective of the Muslim community in general, whether it happened to be South Asian, Arab, uh, or whatever? I mean, I know that obviously there's a, a heavily, a heavy African-American population um, in Philadelphia, but... Was that just something that was just in the African-American space or not? And so in recent, you know, I, won't, I won't say too recent, mm -hmm. but let's, when you look at the demographic of Philadelphia, Philadelphia Muslims, right. and the masters in Philadelphia, the most, many, most of them are African-American, right. right? And so then you had the Southeast um, Asian Muslims, populating their masjids and then joining their, you know, places of worship, whether they were small places or bigger places. Then you saw the more those communities grew, they started to uh, break off and build their own masjids, right? Mm. So I'm sure in those, when they broke off and in their private places, they said converts or they may say, converts right mm -hmm. but um, many of our many sisters or brothers experience being called a convert after being muslim for years and years you know right? it's, it's funny you say that because i know folks who've been muslim for the past 25 30 years who still um actually they're identified well no no i would say they identify more so as converts when they talk about uh, themselves. Is that a, uh, a contradiction or, I mean, is there a difference between the individual 
identifying themselves as a convert as opposed to the uh, the community. And so the com- individual may mm-hmm. um, identify themselves as a convert because a lot of people like to tell their conversion stories. Right, right, right. right. They like to tell the stories how they came to Islam. But the word, the 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 uh, the missing word that I'm trying to use the focus of the word the meaning the feeling yeah. of the word right is changed and how one is how one um, my words are getting mixed here and but how one relays that definition of the word as being a convert from themselves and how someone outside of them outside of themselves says that what a convert is for instance the context that's what i mean the context and how that word is being delivered for instance i'm if i say that i'm a convert and i tell you my conversion story it is because i am glad that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided me to islam Right. Right. And I'm happy to have converted to Islam. However, if someone outside of me who is not a convert, who was born a Muslim or, um, you know, grew up in the Muslim community, so forth. And they say, oh, she's a convert. Oh, you know, like as in a way to demean me. Right. In that way, Mm -hmm. I, I never heard that. Mm. I never, I, I personally never heard that, and I never heard anyone that was rooted in Philadelphia say that they heard that from someone else who was rooted in Philadelphia. Now, when I came outside of Philadelphia to Memphis, that's all I heard: right. convert, convert, convert. Mm. Oh, you, you, you don't know this, or you don't have this experience because you're a convert. Oh, when I grew up Muslim, when I was growing up, we did this and did that. Oh, you wouldn't understand that because you're a convert. And now I'm Mm. thinking, oh, is somehow my Islam uh, devoid of some experience? Because when it comes to belief, and is my belief, that born Muslim, convert, we all have to get to a point where we have to make Islam ours, right? right? You have to, it's like the old Christian Negro uh, spiritual, mama may have, papa may have, but God bless the child that has his own, mm-hmm. right? We we all have to say shahada in our hearts and claim Islam for ourselves. So when someone says, oh, you know, I didn't experience that. Uh because, you know, that's for you for because you're a convert or you use the convert. Oh, this is Khadijah. She's a convert, you know. Oh, and it's like, oh, I feel like I have leprosy, you know. Mm. It's going to rub off or something. Or, you know, I didn't, I don't fully grasp or understand my religion because I wasn't born with it. And that was the text. That was the purpose of the writing in the haughty jab. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that is something that is foreign to most African-American Muslims. And dare I say, even to uh, Caucasian, white Muslims, Latinx Muslims, uh, anybody basically who is not an Arab or South Asian uh, Muslim, uh, anybody that doesn't fall into that category has probably dealt with um, a level of almost testing, right, or, or a level of disbelief or challenge, right, having your Islam be validated by someone who is, first off, may or may not be a practicing Muslim, but more uh, aptly described as someone who identifies culturally as Muslim. So maybe not somebody who even prays on a regular basis, doesn't give zakat, doesn't uh, go to uh, uh, attend Juma, right? And all the other things that we associate with being an observant Muslim, right? But this is the individual who looks at that person who goes outside of their bubble, and they find themselves believing that they can authenticate another person's identity or belief. And that used to bring a lot of frustration for me, you know, in my younger years. That, that brought a lot of frustration. Not so much anymore because I do realize, number one, I don't think that most people are mean-spirited or ill-intended. Uh, but I do believe that because of a very small worldview that is influenced by culture, that is, uh, that is uh, informed by anti-black uh, and white supremacist uh, sentiments that have seeped into their practice or understanding of Islam, that my, my existence as a Muslim or, or anybody's existence outside of that bubble you know, it's a head-scratcher for them. It's a head-turner. You know, they, they a lot of times don't even know how to respond to that. So they respond with, with those underlying elements uh, that negate the existence of, the, uh, of, of anybody outside of that, that group. They respond with skepticism and cynicism at times. So um, there's an element of, of awareness that I think that I have grown into over the years so the questions like, you know, finding out my name is Tariq, uh, and of course that's an anglicized version, right, of Tariq. Questions like, well, do you know what your name means? Where'd you get it from? Uh, are you Muslim? Where are you from? Right? Because Lord knows you couldn't be from here. You couldn't be from Chicago, right? So it's a very small worldview, and there are some issues that that point towards a healing that needs to take place. Uh, and if that healing takes place, if we open our eyes up and if we realize that there's room uh, for everyone and everyone is needed in the room, then I think we can get to a point where some of these dividing lines we have don't come up. And you use great support from Surah Al-Imran to illustrate this division that we should be pushing against. And do not separate and remember Allah's favor unto you. You were enemies and he made friendship between your hearts so that you can become brothers by his grace. This is what this is what we have to get to. And so what I think, um, Brother Tariq, is that one of the things, one of the key components um, when it comes to relating to Muslims um, 
whether they be, you know, um, American-born Muslims or immigrants or whatever the case is, is that the first notion is that we're Muslims, right? Right. And that the spaces that even though some of these spaces are created out of a need to feel at home and, you know, be around people with similar backgrounds, once you create those spaces, those spaces become open places for people to come and worship in, no matter what background they come from. And you can no longer say this place is for Indians or Pakistanis or black Americans for that matter. Mm -hmm. Those places are spiritual places. They belong to Allah, not uh, individuals. And so no matter what you set out to do, what a person sets out to do, once you have these spiritual places, you can't say it's only for our spiritual spiritual worship because Islam belongs to everyone. You know, Islam Islam is a universal religion. So it's it's not yours to keep secret and to hold tight for you and to hold these places and to hold separate and to be, you know, uh to be, to be separating this, you know, from the masses and the groups. And so the Prophet ﷺ, what the first thing he did when he was seeking, when he was seeking safety, he sent the Arabs to go to where? Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And so that in of itself was a tying, was a tying between cultures, which normally in regular spaces during that time would have been separate. And so the master is, is our time. So we can't just have you come to the masjid and now you took shahada, you're on your own. Or, you, or you're born Muslim and there's not a big community with a lot of black Muslims in your community or a lot of white Muslims in your community. The only masjid in your community is a Southeast Asian community. And so you have to use that community. That community should make a way for us, right? It should make a way for all Muslims to feel at home in that space, even if they are the only community operating, right? Mm. And so that's what my focus was on. How can we make these spaces more open spaces for all Muslims, not just one community? If you're going to be the face of the Muslims, then you have to be the face of the Muslims for everyone and have your doors open for everyone, not just doing interfaith work with other outside of the community because you want to do something with those people, but also welcoming the Muslims within within Islam, within the same faith, faith so that those people can feel like they are part of the community as well as the people that you're 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 telling oh you can see safety from us because we're good people mm-hmm. but can the muslims within the same faith as you seek faith seek safety within you as well so that is my yeah I, I think this speaks to a level of spiritual development and evolution uh that we are constantly uh constantly fighting uh for in a society that has separated us along color lines and then along lines of 
uh, faith and then along lines of class and along lines of gender right. and keep going down the lines and down the lines. And the beauty of this uh, way of life, the beauty of this religion is that uh, going back to that, that ayat uh, that you, you uh, quoted, you included in your article, is that the hearts of the believers were joined through mm-hmm. their submission uh, to the oneness of, of, of God, the oneness of Allah, and, uh, and to accepting the leadership of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and prayers be upon him. Mm-hmm. So receiving mm-hmm. the word, receiving the Quran, and allowing that to be the, the unifier, the tying thing that brought them together, that went beyond all those things that divide us, went beyond the things that we, um, that we claim as essential parts of our identity. And of course, the, the Quran, right. it does not negate the differences in language and culture. And, you know, it does not negate those things. And, and it actually allows mm-hmm. us to celebrate them. Um, but what you're saying, it is so much a part of that spiritual evolution that I think we should all be fighting for and really, especially cognizant of during this month of Ramadan. How do we move past the influences of society and allow this religion to do what it's really designed to do, and let let us see one another as, as a as a true complement to each other as as a human family. You mentioned, um, you you wrote down some a list of things that help to reverse this. So the first uh, the first thing that you brought up to to help us get past the walls that that exist between us, uh, you say make it your obligation to greet everyone who greets you. Or better yet, extend the greeting first. Um, this is so important. Can can you talk about uh, what what are the first things that come to mind for you uh, when you make this the number one uh, concern? Well, the, the the reason is is now this is something um, that I think this particular of speaking first, right, is something that is, well, when I say universal, I mean from here, from Memphis to Philadelphia, right, Mm -hmm. that when people see a Muslim of, let's say, an Arab descent, when a black American Muslim sees a Muslim from an Arab descent, or in Southeast Asian descent, the notion that they feel in their heart is, if I speak to her or him, he won't speak back, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, or they will reply in undertone, you know, under their breath or won't acknowledge them in some way. And so that right there, that not speaking causes a divide. Yeah. Because the first thing is when you give salam, assalamu alaikum, means that peace, not just any old peace, but this peace, as you're safe from me. You're safe. You're my safety. You have your blood. Your name is safe with me. So if you don't give me salams, when I give you salams, that means if something goes down in this place, I'm on my own, right? Right. And so when I when I see a Muslim, when I enter the masjid and I say assalamu alaikum, Mm-hmm. and they don't speak back, I automatically feel like this is not the place for me. Like you're intruding. Right? Like I'm intruding. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be here. You know, she didn't respond. Maybe the next person won't respond. So I go and maybe I speak to someone else, and they don't respond, or they 
give me a side response under their breath or something. Now, I don't want to come back to this place, right? I don't feel comfortable here. This is not the place for me. The person that did not respond back, although the spiritual thing on the Muslim is, I said, I said, I said salams, and the response is on them. That's ideally, that's what you want to say, right? right? But reality is, you feel like I don't belong here. Right, right. I don't belong here, and so simply saying "Waalaikum Salam wa Rahmatullah." will make me feel like, okay, maybe this place isn't so bad. Maybe I can let my guard down just a little bit just to come and sit for the chuppah or, right. you know, sit at this table or pray tarawih. Maybe I can, you know. So just responding to salam or offering the salam to a un, you know, a face that you, an unfamiliar face mm-hmm. will make them feel welcome, make them feel like I can pray here. This this sister was nice. She salamed me as soon as she seen she saw me, and I'm and I'm I'm okay here. These are Muslims, right? You know, you know why I feel like that's so important now, especially as we are dealing with um, we de- we're dealing with hatred on multiple fronts. Uh, those of us who are uh, African American have become, in some instances, numb uh, or expectant of a certain amount of animus, uh, a certain amount of, uh, of, of of hatred and vitriol, you know, that's almost par for the course. And but but we're also it's also something that, that we fight against. Right. I don't want to say we just accept it, but it's not as surprising um, to us. But then as Muslims and this goes for whether you are African-American, South Asian, Arab, uh, 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 white, whatever your um what your ethnicity is, we are in a time where there are increasing acts of public uh, violence and hostility directed towards Muslims. So Islamophobia, this is a this is a real issue that we're dealing with. And when you are in the public space, you kind of want to be able to connect to those people that you would feel understand at least that understand where you come from so you want to have a support system so yeah so the whole idea of just speaking to somebody and having them return the greeting you know it may seem like not a big deal to some folks but i think where we at right now um it it has even greater uh implications like you just said exactly i'm by myself especially you know i'm by myself and you know so that we need we need to be more cognizant much more aware of how we uh, how we deal with that. So number two, don't allow anyone to eat alone in the masjid. I'm gonna stop right there. <laughs> right, and so when you go to the masjid, you're just think about this. Let's put it to when the part where it say you're a new child in the school, right? You enter the school, you're into the school lunchroom, and you don't know anyone in the school. You're looking for somewhere to sit. You don't want to sit with the wrong people. You don't want to sit at the wrong table. You don't, but you want to sit somewhere. But someone catches your eyes. They see the confusion on your, your face, and they say, come sit by me. Mm-hmm. Now the, the barrier, the burden that you were carrying is lifted. Alhamdulillah. I don't have to 
you know, sit by someone who doesn't want me to sit by them or give or moves over, uh, you know, when I sit down or, you know, turns their back to me. No, someone said, come sit by me. Now I feel comfortable. I can go over here and sit with someone who's welcoming. So the that can change the whole idea of what the masjid or those communities are like for quote unquote converts, right? right? That you are not alone. You're not alone. When you go to Ramadan, you don't have to pray alone. You don't have to break fast alone. Now you can eat with somebody. Just sharing, thinking about how the sunnah of sharing a meal and how that ties hearts. When you have eaten and broken bread with someone and you now consider this person a close friend or a family member, you know, that communal meal ties the heart. So if I can go into the masjid, it's iftar in the masjid, and they have a table and food is out, and someone says, come sit by me. Now, the barriers or the walls that was on my heart, the seal or the negativity that I may have been feeling coming in, oh, I'm going to have to sit by myself. They always just sit with each other and talk right. to each other and all that kind of stuff, right? Is now going to be removed by the kindness of asking me to come sit with you. Yeah. And now the prejudice that I had and possibly the prejudice that you had, we can put away to have a conversation about this day of fasting that we just had together. Oh, man. Whew. It was hot outside. It was a long one. MashaAllah, mm-hmm. mm, you know, now we can bond on a mutual aspect rather than. Uh, yeah, just toughen it by I yourself. Don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know why I come here. Uh, you know, you what's, know, what's funny is that sometimes when we have community, we almost forget what it's like to be that odd person out. Because, you know, if we grow up with something that we've, we've always known everybody, it, it, you know, it can become really easy to forget about how much of a blessing that is. And, right. you know, and, and to. And if we're not thinking, we don't think about how important it is to make sure we extend that uh, to other people. So once again, another really good, um, a good tip. Don't allow anyone to eat alone in the masjid. Uh, number three, exchange phone numbers with someone new. Now, I think, yeah, I think this is also another one. And I, I think as we go down the lines, we think about these, and we got one more after this. I think these are things that remind us that if we're going to grow, we have to stretch. Right. right. It's very easy to stay where we are comfortable. Uh, it's very easy to allow the stranger to remain a stranger, even if that person is praying next to you just to let them be right. a stranger. So we got to stretch. So exchanging phone numbers with someone new. And so the Hadith says that I wanted to, the point of this particular piece was that invite maybe not just exchanging phone numbers, yeah. but inviting people to your private spaces, Right. Right. Because if this person is a convert, and I'm not saying any Joe 
any, you know, mold that walks off the street, you have to invite them to your house or your home. Mm -hmm. But if you know that this is a person who doesn't have any connections in Islam, doesn't have any Muslim family, maybe your family is having a private iftar this weekend, right? And the sister over here, your wife would be a good fit to talk to her or just hang out with the sisters. Just come on over. We're having barbecue, right? This barbecue weekend, we're going to have a picnic out back. You come on over, you know, mm-hmm. and have break fast with, with us. And so now you're fostering a family with a new sister. This may actually turn into something greater than uh, just her coming over for dinner that weekend. Maybe now you've actually found a new family member, a new friend, a new, you know, somebody that is going to be a vital part of the community, all by inviting them to your home or giving them your phone number, calling them up. Hey, sis, how you doing? How's your Ramadan going? You know, just inquiring, letting them know that they are not alone in Ramadan or as Muslims. And I think that's a very key point when I hear a lot of Muslims um, talk about what, how the loneliness that they feel in Ramadan. One of the things is that no one checks on them. You know, no one, or not just in Ramadan, I mean, Mm -hmm. is that no one checks on them or no one, you know, asks about them or, you know, they took Shahada and they're left on their own because they haven't made any connections with anyone in the masjid. They haven't networked with anyone to, you know, break that, oh, you're just, you took your habit, now you're on your own. No, now you have a family or a friend or, you know, somebody that you can connect with. Um, So I think that idea of just exchanging phone numbers, it's not just, oh, let's just exchange your phone numbers, but maybe we can build a relationship. You know, maybe we can become more than just, oh, here's my phone number. Maybe we're friends now. Maybe we're family now. Allahu alam. But it it, it happens with small acts like changing, exchanging phone numbers. Absolutely. And going back to the ayat that you included in the article, uh, once again, Quranic support for our actions uh, and for for the disposition that we take. We don't know how that love is going to be placed between us, Mm-mm. right? So uh, when we are reminded that it was Allah who placed love between your hearts when at first you were averse to one another, you were enemies. So we mm-hmm. don't, you know, we don't know how that love is going to be developed, but we do know all we have to do um, we simply have to do what we're supposed to do and as far as embracing one another, embracing this word, embracing this tradition that we have, and trust that Allah, trust the process, and there's a process here, trust the process that it will result in that affection. And on, on whatever Allah, whatever uh, level Allah has decreed, but he places that love there. So once again, really important. And then also I want to add on to this as well. The point that for many who accept Islam later on in life or even early on, whatever point they accept it, if they have a family who is in opposition 
to Islam, then they could very well be really, I mean, literally stepping out on faith, leaving their family behind that support system that they've known throughout their entire lives. And now the the, the masjid, that support exactly. system becomes that much more important. So we, we certainly can't take uh, make light of that. Now, your last suggestion, uh, the last point, and I don't know if you if these were all in any particular order or not, because, I mean, you can see the importance of all of them. But the last one that you wrote, a kind word or smile goes a long way. The Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said every act of righteousness is a charity, and part of righteousness is to meet your brother with a cheerful face. <clears throat> and so generally... You know, in general, if you walk upon somebody and they scowl at you, you know, yeah. you don't want to be in, in that space, right? You don't mm. want to be in their, in their space. So if someone smiles at you or just, you know, gives you that, okay, not even with words, just generally, you kind of, it lets you feel like, you know, I'm okay right here, at least for a little bit, at least minute, you know, in a very minute kind of way mm -hmm. that I'm okay right here, right? And so just think about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of, the, one of the ways when you walk past someone regularly, mm -hmm. you walking down the street, they're coming towards you, you don't know them, and they don't know you. Right? Mm -hmm. So you don't, you smile, and if they smile back, you feel like, okay, we're good. Right. But if you smile and they don't smile back, now you feel a little suspicious when they walk past you. You look over your shoulder. Hmm, what is that person about? Right? Mm -hmm. So if someone just gives you a smile hmm, and you smile back, then that means, Maybe their safety, and this is on a very basic level. This is just, you know, just on a very basic level of building relationships, right? Mm -hmm. You, this is this is not what takes place on on a more intrinsic level, but on a very superficial level, a smile can break the whole the whole idea of Muslims are so mean, or yeah. you know, because I've heard that. Oh, yeah, so many times, right? <laughs> you know, or, you know, oh, that masjid, don't go to that masjid. They don't, they're mean. And so a, a basic smile can just probably, possibly turn a person's whole idea and perspective around about this particular place, about this masjid, or Muslims in general, you know. Oh, no, I, I don't know that to be true about Muslims. I've had nothing but good experiences. Whenever I walk in the masjid, someone gives me salam. I don't know that to be about that place because the sisters, they're always smiling at me when I come. You know, the brothers, they greet me when I walk past. This can make a person's whole idea about what, who they are and what they are in that place. And the relationships that they have with the uh, attendees of that place is going to be like, mm -hmm. right? Do I stay in this masjid or, or don't I? Because I've had people 
I've heard of people and I've known of people close to me who stopped practicing Islam simply because the masjid that they go to or have been to were uh, off-putting, you know, did, through them weren't welcoming. Yeah. And so, you know, so if, if just one, two, three people adopt smiling in a particular place, that may change the person's whole idea and trajectory of what a Muslim is and who Muslims are, you know. Right. Not that we only are seeking, because one of my key points in my, in my mind, it wasn't the basis in this particular um, piece, in this particular halt hijab piece, halt hijab piece, but that we can't just seek safety with non-Muslims or seek and build safe spaces with non-Muslims, right? right? We have to be, we have to build safe spaces for Muslims. We have to not only have interfaith dialogue discussions, but we have to have intrafaith discussions where we are discussing how to build communities within our community. And smiling can start that off, I believe. Hmm. Well, thank you so much. You have given a lot to, uh, to consider. And for those who listen, and you may say, I've never seen this, right? Uh, this doesn't make any sense to me, right? As far as, <laughs> especially when it comes to the, the accounts of those who have taken the Shahada later on in life, you know, uh, that we label as converts. And really, we could have a, a, a whole other hour-long conversation just on that, right? Because when does that end? And then also uh, the Sahabas, right? <laughs> the, the righteous companions, all what? Converts, right? Yes. So, so this idea of how we, um, how we establish a hierarchy and how we disempower people um, and often, I'm going to say that it is an unintentional consequence or effect of being in a society that is so um, that is so separated. Uh, and 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 it's not just about geography, right? I think this is something that we have as a as a as a human family. These this is one of the things that we continue to deal with. Uh, we we create these separations. But anyway, uh, this is a, a really wonderful piece. If you have not read it. Uh, go to Hot Hijab. Was it HotHijab.com or is it .org? Yes. .com. It is HotHijab.com. Hot yes. And uh, and read. Uh, you'll find a lot of great uh, articles. This one included, of course. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And we wish for you and your family uh, the rest of this Ramadan to be, uh, inshallah, a source of, of renewal, a uh, source of inspiration and healing. I mean. Okay. I mean. And you as well. And while you're on it, please check out Sapelo Square. Oh yes. Org. Mm -hmm. um, I have a Ramadan reflection piece on there as well. And I would love some feedback. So you can find me on Facebook to leave your feed to leave your feedback or on Twitter. Okay. Where, where what's your uh, handle on Twitter and uh, Facebook? My handle on Twitter is Hawk underscore Khadija, mm -hmm. and my handle on Facebook is Khadija Abdul Hawk. Okay. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, Radio Islam family, uh, we have been talking with Khadija Abdul-Haq, uh, writer, author, educator, 
and hope you've enjoyed the conversation. We want to go ahead and thank once again our sponsors, IFN, Islamic Foundation North, and ICN, Islamic Center of Naperville, for their support and sponsorship. Uh, we thank you all for listening. And with that, we're going to get out of here. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. And we remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. With that, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.